All right, we are rolling now. Counting us down. Three, two. You're listening to Missing Out with Lex Michael and Tari J. Let's start the show. Hello there, Misketeers, and welcome back to Missing Out. I am Tari J. I am Lex Michael. And if this is your first time listening, what we do here is we introduce each other to different media, whether it be movies, music, television, spoken word, books, and experiences, things that have built us up as people, and we hope that in sharing it, it builds you up. We are the retrospective that is introspective. Tari, your podcast intro took me to the threshold. <laughs> well... Ooh, I'm I'm glad. Time to open your eyes in the darkness and get them power blocks where they need to go. (laughs) I will say, if Riddick had a podcast and was able to thread that needle the way you just did, intro that efficiently, he would still be king of the weird, scary armor people. That's true. That was his one downfall. No podcast. Um, as we have not so subtly alluded to, we are talking about Chronicles of Riddick, the whole trilogy. We're talking Pitch Black. We're talking Chronicles of Riddick 2004. We're talking Riddick 2013. We're not talking Riddick 4, Furia, because that doesn't exist yet. Uh, but we are going deep in, and this was brought to us by our good friend and yours, J.Q. Salazar. JQ, what up? What's up? What's up, guys? It's been a while. Yeah. How have you been? It's been all right. I'm, uh, well, I used to live in Denver last time I was on the show. Now I live in Florida. Oh, okay. Cool. Not that cool. <laughs> what? Don't laugh at me. It is cool. People love Florida. I've never been. I don't know. Um, but either way, uh, you brought this in for us, so, like, pitch it. Why should people watch it? Riddick, the trilogy. Why do I love it? Because it's awesome. And <laughs> the best thing about that is it's in space. The main character, Riddick, is just a beast. You know, it's, it's a totally fascinating, like, totally convicted character. He knows exactly who he is and what he wants to do and how he wants to go about it. Nobody else matters, except for the people that do matter. And there are people that matter in this series, so... You know, that, that's that's really the whole thing about Riddick is like he thinks he knows what he's doing, but then something pops up that he has to care about. And it just sucks when you got to care about something. So that's why I love Riddick. That's that's what I say, too. <laughs> it sucks yeah. when you have to care about something. <laughs> and nobody <laughs> matters except for the people that do. It's true. Yeah. You never know who matters until you meet them. <laughs> yeah, it's tough, man. Yeah, totally. Um, oh man, this, this, I, uh, I really liked, uh, I had, I had only seen Pitch Black and, uh, Chronicles of Riddick came out just before I went off to college. And so, uh, I never got to see it and which meant that subsequently I never watched Riddick because, you know, continuity and all that stuff. Um, and so I was excited to get back in on this because i i specifically was a very big 
Riddick fan. I was like, oh, yeah, Vin Diesel's dieseling it up. Oh, boy, look at this anti-hero. Oh, yeah. Speaking of anti-heroes, that's why this fits in our uh, all of the Kool-Aid month, because this guy is inserting himself into situations and he's like, I can kill for you. Um, But yeah. <laughs> Uh, Lex, were you a big Riddick fan growing up? Did you, have you seen the series? What's your deal? So I had seen Pitch Black, I want to say, on cable years and years ago. And I saw Chronicles of Riddick shortly after it came out and found it incomprehensible. And so I never really went back. And I had not seen Riddick 2013 either. But uh, I have known Jay for a long time. And Jay has been a big fan of these movies forever. And it's been, what, I'd say it was 04 that Chronicles came out. So, what, roughly 15, 16 years you've been telling me I need to go back and revisit these movies. I know when the the third one came out, you were very excited and had no one to share it with. Um, And so finally, uh, finally, after uh, a decade and a half plus... Uh, and uh, years of uh, Tari and I having a platform on which we could finally uh, dive in and, and hash the series out, uh, I, I consented, and now here we are. And I will say, um, one, I had a better experience with Pitch Black than I ever have before. Uh, two, while I get why I found Chronicles incomprehensible at the time, I don't really know what my problem with it was because I, I I ended up enjoying that one a whole lot as well, and I thought that they did a great job with the third one as far as like it really felt like yes they went back to basics but they were able to sort of mesh some of the best parts of the first two movies together in a way that I thought was was very impressive. But also, and we can talk more specifically about this when we get to the other side of the spoiler wall. But the way that this team. Uh, led by David Toohey, was able to, from the ground up, essentially build and execute an original sci-fi universe in a way that, yeah, like I think these were some of the last guys that really got to do this in this way, um, I thought was really, uh, really impressive. So yes, I came away a fan, so much so that after I watched them, I did the digital rentals for all of them, but uh, after I watched them, I ordered the three-pack uh, Blu-ray so that I could listen to the commentaries and stuff. So yes, you have oh, successfully you've converted me. I am now a fan. I've joined you after all this time. I have joined you on Mount Riddick on the desert planet where we hang out with our weird CG dog friends and we <laughs> fight like lake scorpion monsters, whatever the fuck that thing is. Right. It's weird that you choose that one and not the one where there's actually like a space religion. Um, but because nah, you know. we're alone, we're we're the last men on the planet, but we're Riddick fans. It's just they us just and the threshold. CG dogs. Yeah, it's it's us and the CG dogs, and like a portable generator and a little TV where we listen to the Riddick commentaries. Oh, that sounds yeah, fun. I, no, I, I probably should have just said that I saw the original Pitch Black in theaters when I was like eleven. You know, I think I just went with my dad. We didn't even know what it was, and. I just remember thinking like, wow, that was better than, you know, we thought it would be. Um, But then it wasn't until I saw Chronicles of Riddick and I didn't even realize until I think I went to see the movie in the theater that it was a sequel to Pitch Black because, you know, like I was a kid back then. I didn't, you know, you don't think about it that much. Um, And then I think that's what like really got me was like, wow, it's a sequel, but it's also like a completely different film and it's way, you know, for better or worse, but 
it was like, I'd just never seen anything like that where the sequel was like just blown out of proportion in, in such a way. Um, and yeah. And, and then I was like convinced that we were never going to get a third one until we did. And now <laughs> maybe we'll get a fourth one, but I don't know. I mean, I had heard, uh, I guess not heard, but I read that the, the third one exists because Vin Diesel was like, Hey guys, I love this character. I want to make another movie. And so he essentially bartered uh, an appearance in Tokyo Drift uh, for the rights to Riddick so he could make the sequel. And then he like self-funded it for the most part, um, which is bonkers. He talks about in the in the making of stuff. He said that he mortgaged his house just to be able to do it, which is pretty nuts. Yeah, I mean, and I get it. Like, I think for him the Riddick characters beyond being like his breakthrough character also is like in inhumanly like badass. Uh, I mean, I guess he's not human. He's a Furian, but like he uh, is basically what the like early two thousands badass archetype was. Um, and yeah. I could, I definitely feel like him being like, yeah, I feel connected. I don't know. Because <laughs> he's Sylvester Stallone as well. Um, but uh, yeah, I definitely see him feeling connection to this character and wanting to explore where he goes. Um, so I think it will be hard to talk about the franchise without going into spoilers. So I think this is a good time to drop down the spoiler wall, uh, listen, listen to us slowly turning the, the, the handle ticka, 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 ticka. Uh, this is your chance that if you don't want to be spoiled for anything, pitch black R- Chronicles of Riddick, Riddick related, uh, for you to jump off and you can come back. They are available on, uh, assorted platforms. Like you can find them all on Amazon, uh, and Vudu. And I believe the YouTube rental store. Um, but you could also be like Lex Michael and get the triple pack Blu-ray. Um, or you can just rent them or go on Cinemax Go. And it also has uh, Riddick or Chronicles of Riddick and Riddick. So like, yo, dude, do do it. Find it. It's, it's There's no dearth of places to do so. Uh, while you're here, though... If you would like to and you're feeling so inclined, please go on to <laughs> Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating, a review. Uh, we read five-star reviews here on the show. Um, but beyond that, we appreciate it because it helps us get to the top of the charts, helps other people find us, helps people uh, join Lex and Jay's cult of Pitch Black Lovedom. Uh, but most specifically, it helps other people find the show, which is more important than Pitch Black. I'm sorry. Um, so uh, please do so if you have a chance. Uh, and we'll be back right after this break. And we are back. And you know it's my favorite time, y'all. It's time to bust a recap. And Jay is going to recap all three movies for you right now. Boop. Go, Jay. Okay. Pitch Black. The year is 2000. 
this is one of the last sci-fi films we're going to get of this kind of caliber where we got like the low to mid range, you know, budgeted film. Um, I think the budget was 40 mil. No, no, no. The first pitch black black was 20 mil. All right. So $20 million sci-fi film kind of just out there, not really expecting much. And it develops this great cult following because of the man named Riddick, Richard B. Riddick, if we're being specific. Okay. Um, and the thing is that, you know, this isn't, I don't think when this movie came out, it was like supposed to be a Riddick movie because it wasn't, uh, you know, that wasn't a thing yet. This is just a film about a random cast of characters who crash onto a weird alien planet that they don't know. And they got to survive. It's a crazy wilderness out there. There's some, some things coming and some things in the dark. And, uh, well, there's this guy on board named Riddick and he's murdered people. He's uh, done some bad things and he's on his way to be delivered to a slam, which is, you know, code for prison in this world. And he, you know, he's not a nice guy and everybody's scared of him and they're scared that he's going to kill them. But what they really need to be afraid of is what's out on the planet in the dark. And only Riddick knows about this because he's got that animal sense. They say that when you're in cryo sleep, that everything in your brain shuts down except for the primitive <laughs> side. And only Riddick knows about this, okay? <clears throat> so anyway, they crash on this planet and they're all running around trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And they find out that there's some kind of uh, eclipse thing happening. That's right. The, the planet has three suns, which is just insane. Three suns. It, it's never nighttime. But soon that these different suns and planets are somehow going to turn it into like some kind of design that makes an eclipse. I don't even get it. Like three suns. How do you have an eclipse with three suns? Um, so, but whatever. Space magic. Yeah. Right. Space magic. Um, but, but the crazy thing is that the eclipse is going to last like 20 years or something. I forget the exact thing, but it's just an insane amount of time. Um, and they realize that, you know, there was a settlement of, passengers of, of uh, people who landed on this planet it was it's unclear what it was used for but some kind of outpost and everybody yeah, they was were geologists they were geologists that's right everybody was about to leave but then the, the eclipse happened and everybody was killed by the the alien life on the planet and then i guess like 20 years went by because the eclipse ended and then now the eclipse is going to start again i don't know that's that part was confusing um <laughs> but riddick you know, they, they finally strike up a deal with him because he, he's really adept, like he can run around really fast and uh, j- jump off of things. And, you know, he's he's just like very, he's very primitive. He's very animal. Um, and he needs, they need his help to, to, to help them fight the aliens on the planet or whatever. You know, they just need to team up with him. And... They're preparing to load up the only ship that they can to get off planet, but they got to carry these fuel cells, which are back at the other ship. So they end up making like, I don't know, six or seven trips back and forth between the original ship and the new one. And then finally the, the eclipse happens and, you know, all hell breaks loose. There's just these crazy creatures that are like bird, pterodactyl, raptor things like rhinoceros kind of stuff going on there too. Um, I'm not even sure, but... They gotta, they gotta stay alive, and it, it essentially turns into a horror film, like a slasher, where people are getting picked off one by one. Um, 
And, you know, that's, that's the gist of it. That's pitch black. Um, I think it was, you know, it was a somewhat lucrative success. I don't think it made more than a hundred mil, but enough to like warrant a sequel in the sense that this was right when Vin Diesel was at his jumping off point, he did Fast and the Furious the next year. And then Triple X, I think the year after that, and he was, you know, just a megastar. And I think Universal was just like, give him whatever he wants. And he wanted to do more Riddick and him and the original director of Pitch Black, David Toohey, they teamed up and decided that Riddick was going to be suddenly basically like a superhero and everything was just going to get way more out of proportion. Whereas Pitch Black was like one small adventure on one planet. Now we're doing like a galaxy spanning kind of thing where we're planet hopping and just getting to know everybody who lives in this crazy world and on top of that there's something coming there's something coming from deep space and everyone's scared um what is it it's the necromongers they're an army of well actually they're not dead right they're they're, they're their leader is undead or half dead something like that and they're they're what they do is they show up wipe out the entire planet and anybody who's left they just convert them to their religion by injecting like some kind of virus into their neck i'm not sure um but you know these guys are bad news and riddick just happens to be like around when they show up and they kill one of his friends who's uh keep david from uh pitch black um I guess that's technically a spoiler for Pitch Black that Keith David lives, but he dies at the beginning of this movie, so it's not really a spoiler for that because it's so early into the movie. Um, <laughs> but anyway, Riddick's not happy that they killed his friend. Riddick's not happy they killed his friend, so he wants revenge, but he he only wants revenge on the guy who killed his friend, none of the other guys, and there's like a whole army of these guys. So he shows up, beats that guy's ass, and the leader of the Necromonger is like, yo, you're a beast, come join us. And Riddick's like, no way. And they're like, well, maybe if you asked the breeder, he would willingly join. And, you know, they bring him on board and give him a tour of their ship. And he's still like, I'm not, I'm not cool with this. And at that point, they realize that Riddick is a Furian. A Furian, which is a, not a human, I guess. Or, or maybe it's an evolved human. We don't really know. But there's a race of people called Furians from the planet Furia. And Furia was wiped out by none other than the leader of the Necromongers, way back in the day because he heard a prophecy that, you know, he needed to kill all the Furians because eventually a Furian would come and, re and kill him and replace him. And he thought he did that, but somehow Riddick was the only one who survived, of course. And uh, basically all hell breaks loose from there. Um, the fate of the universe is in Riddick's hands. And that was it. That was it. 2004, Chronicles of Riddick came out, didn't do as hot as they wanted to compared to the like mega budget it had and it was all said and done you know like that was it there, there was fans like in the crevices of the world that were crying out for another riddick movie and then nine long years went by until we got the next one and that was that one was simply called riddick lame right bad title um you know it's it doesn't even make sense why the last one was Chronicles of Riddick and this one's just Riddick. Isn't this still another Chronicle? Um, whatever. Um, but by the way, I do remember that in the original, the original screenplay was titled The Chronicles of Riddick, Dead Man Stalking, which is actually an awesome title for this movie. It fits very well. But I get like, you know, why they didn't want to market it that way because, you know, it's just like nobody, you know, there's those people who hated Chronicles of Riddick because let's be honest, it wasn't the best movie, especially of, of the bunch. Um, 
So, you know, they probably didn't want to associate with the Chronicle thing anymore. Regardless, this Riddick was like, what did they say? Back to basics. You know, they, they dump him on another alien planet and he's got to survive. And this time, you know, he switches it up a little where like the first, I don't know, 30, 40 minutes of the movie, he's completely by himself with nobody to talk to except the audience in a narration. Um, but then, you know, he, he hits a, a button on some machine in some building that calls all the other people to show up, bounty hunters. And his plan is to steal their ship, but their plan is to kill him. And once again, all hell breaks loose. And uh, <laughs> all right, that's that's what I got. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, right. So so those are all the movies, right? Um, I, I feel like both of you guys have given Chronicles of Riddick some guff. Uh, and I personally, I enjoyed Chronicles of Riddick for the, for the fact that they took this standout character of a thing and were like, nah, like we're going to do some, some world building. We're going to, we're going to make him a a chosen one. We're going to, we're going to, you know, uh, show you guys what's happening in all the other universes, bro. You thought alien had some stuff going on. Riddick's got all that shit and more. Oh, you want to, you want a prison break heist movie? Fucking you got that shit too. Yo, Chronicles of Riddick. Pew, 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 pew. Puffs, puff of smoke. <laughs> um, so yeah, like I feel like I was uh, describing the, the, the trajectory of the movies and how like the first one was basically like a um like a i don't want to say a an aliens clone but like that's the the creature feature type of movie that it was you know with like some really cool cg some some uh dope creature design um and then they're like yo we're gonna do a space epic and you're like, dope. And then the last one, they go back to basics. Uh, so it's like this this bell curve in terms of action and budget. You know, and they're like, all right, cool. It's just going to be a, a man and his dog, a literal lone wolf and pup. And then we're going to have it uh, him like hanging out with some mercs. And we're going to do some references to the first one, too. The second one doesn't exist. Uh, did you watch the theatrical or the director's cut? Of, of any of them, actually. Uh, I watched the theatrical for all of them. Interesting. Oh, so, dang, so, yeah. so we need to do a real quick uh, uh, segment, another segment, Tari, that you love called What's the Difference? And Jay needs to real quick walk us through what the differences between the theatrical and director's cuts are because I watched <laughs> the director's cuts and I know, uh, at least in the case of the third one, uh, like the Carl Urban character comes back, but only in the director's cut, if I'm not mistaken. And so there's a much stronger connective tissue between Chronicles and the third movie in the director's cut. Right. Like like uh, Jay, you were yeah. telling me that there is some um, some necromonger stuff in there regardless, but no Carl Urban. From what I remember from seeing it in the theaters, yeah, I, I don't think there was any Carl Urban. There is still like the intro chunk where where he's recapping how he ended up on the planet but then yeah and that, i think that's it and maybe he references it here and there in the in the voiceover but at the very end it doesn't go back to it like it does in the in the director's cut okay so in the theatrical you do get an appearance from carl urban where 
he's just standing around and he's like, that's right. That's right. He, he shows up, but he doesn't say anything. I, I believe. Right. Right. So in the director's cut, Riddick goes back to them or what, what happens? Yeah. Well, you know what, real quick, let me jump back to, to pitch black. I think the director's cut of that is like maybe 10 minutes longer, maybe a little less. And I don't remember what was added and dropped, but it was, you know, probably just like connective tissue for scenes or extended stuff. And then in Chronicles of Riddick, there's actually a decent amount that's cut out. I want to say the director's cut is like 15 to 20 minutes longer. And it's all small things like, like I was saying, like connective stuff or, or like elongated scenes, yeah. but it develops the world more and has a lot more uh, going on with it. Um, but then, yeah. And then Riddick is the, it seems to be the most significant one where it, they basically just cut out, you know, it, all the, cause there, there's no talk about like transcendence or anything. Was there in, in the theatrical? No. You remember? No. Okay. Um, yeah. So, so it, there, there's like this big, like window with a portal into space outside, like a weird green wormhole looking portal outside of the Necromunger ship. And okay. Riddick was like staring at it. And Carl Urban shows up and he's like, you know, basically like give me the Necromunger crown and then I'll let you do whatever you want. You can go back to Furia and whatever. And I, cause all I want is transcendence. That, that's what Carl Urban, Carl Urban wants. Um, and then obviously Riddick gets betrayed, but then he goes back to that ship after he pieces out at the end of the movie on the, on the little ship that he gets. And he finds the dude who left him for dead, the guy who blew up the cliff he was on. Yeah. He finds that guy, kills him, and then one of the, the women who are on board, he, he's asking them, like, where's Carl Urban? Where's Vako? And... He's like, is he alive or is he dead? And the woman's like, both. And kind of alludes to that he has he has transcended and that he's now like, I'm guessing like he went into the green portal thing that's outside of the ship window and Riddick just stares off and he's like, transcendence. And that was it. <laughs> and so it, it's essentially a cliffhanger ending in the in the director's right. cut, which very much it feels like mo- a lot of what they took out is stuff that would lead you directly into the hypothetical fourth movie that they may or may not ever be able to make. Right. OK. Um, I mean, I will say that from the theatrical having watched the theatrical version, I don't feel like I'm missing out on that. Um, yeah, I, mean, I would say I would say you are missing out if you care about Chronicles of Riddick and you care about the overall mythology. But if you're just looking at Riddick as a film on, that stands alone, then no, you don't really need it. And, and without that material, like you shave a little bit off the beginning and you shave that ending off, you essentially have something that functions more or less as a standalone reboot of of the original. Like it does feel a little bit like I'm not going to say a pitch black clone but it definitely felt like all right so we tried this other really super ambitious thing that cost a lot of money did not make that money back so let's figure out how we a uh do this for less money and b how we sort of get people that maybe we lost with the second installment back on board with the general vibe of this one i guess so i think my read of riddick uh especially from chronicles where he keeps being like i just want to be left alone uh was that like it one being the leader of that group never behooved him and he just wanted to go home so like at the end 
he's like, I'm going to Furia. And I was like, all right, that seems like his logical next step. Um, like, and I get that he's all about petty revenge. Like, and that's how he got involved with the, uh, with the necromongers in the first places, he's like, you kill my friend, I kill you. Uh, and so him going back to the necromongers to kill that one guy makes sense. But at the same oh. time, yes. Dude, you just reminded me that the director's cut of Chronicles of Riddick has an extra subplot about him being a fury. And I don't know. I, I don't think you saw that, right? Where with like the handprint on his chest and the girl who talks to him in his dreams or whatever. Oh, no, not at all. Okay, yeah. So, real quick, in the very beginning of Chronicles of Riddick, when he steals Tombs' ship and like sets course for Helion Prime and kind of like goes into cryosleep or whatever, yeah. he has like a vision where this woman with like blonde dreadlocks, I think, or some kind of kind of weird hairdo, um, she talks to him and, and tells him that like he's a. She's like, "You're a Furian." It's it's pretty silly to be honest. Um, but then he, he sees that like a couple times again in, in, throughout the movie. And then in the scene where he is, uh, where Carl Urban leaves him for dead and the other necromonger guy like reveals that he's a Furian too. You saw that, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah. In that scene, the woman like comes to him in, in his like mind or whatever. And she's the one who puts the, the blue handprint on his chest that he uses as like some kind of, Kamehameha explosion to knock everybody back. I don't remember how they did it in the theatrical because I guess they didn't show that. Yeah, that never happens. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Weird. Um, yeah, that's a whole thing. And so, like, it, it reinforces the fact that he should give a shit about Furia and his past and all that. And I think that that kind of plants that seed for him to be more like, oh, I want to go home now. Because um, right. I guess in the theatrical, that, that that's not there, so it doesn't really land as hard. Yeah, in in the theatrical, he's just like, oh, cool. Uh, this me being a Furian means I can beat this guy up, eh? And so, like, he goes back to go like his main driver in Chronicles of Riddick is um, the Jack, who is now Kiri, something like that. Kira, Kira, um, and so he just wants to go get her back because they kidnapped her. Uh, and then that leads the king or the vice marshal or the grand marshal to be like, hey, you're a Furian and I would need all the Furians dead. So let's make a fight. And then he like starts to beat him up. And then Carl Urban's like, yo, I want to get in a fight, too. It's time to take this guy down. That's how he talks. And so uh, in while Carl Urban is about to harm him. Uh, you know, Vin Diesel gets a, a, a face stab in and he's like, I guess I'm king now. Right. Yeah. So like, it's all about um, <laughs> his relationship with Jack, which I liked. And I had read that there, it was rumored before uh, Riddick came out that it was going to be about him going into their like afterlife to go get Jack. And I think that would have right. been a really cool, but also very expensive uh, movie. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that, you know, like I, I was talking to Alex about this. If they do a fourth movie, the problem is that they're going to need another $100 million budget if they're, if they're going to pull off the story the way that, you know, they've been alluding to. Like he would have to go back to the Underverse to, to get her and 
then it, 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 based on the way the director's cut of Riddick ends, it would be assumed that Baco would be the villain or he's already transcended and he's some kind of who knows what. But there's, you know, the amount of effects money you would need. And then if you can't do it without bringing back, you'd have to bring back the same girl who played Jack, I, I would say, or Kira, um, Alexa Davalos. Because, you know, you don't want to recast again, especially if it's been however, what, 15 plus years. Yeah, though, I mean, you could uh, effectively be like, oh, man, the Underverse changes you and then have <laughs> yeah. everyone in like basically look like monsters or look like like other creatures that way you could recast her you could you could even recast uh carl urban as just like a big cgi monster um and then have it you could also effectively have the underverse be a representation of places that you've been so you just re shoot in places that you've already shot and you're like oh man it's all (laughs) part of his yeah Part of his brainscape. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, or, I mean, the same desert that they shot uh, Pitch Black in, which is just in Australia, or like the same (laughs) desert they used for uh, the second or the third one, Riddick, Um, or like just a not desert, maybe like a, I don't know, a tree planet. You know how there are planets that are just one thing? You've watched Star Wars. (laughs) Sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you know, what I what I will say, I think, is that, you know, a, a fourth one is like too. I don't know, like. Uh, like, I the, the thing about Riddick is like, there's no alien creatures in these movies. There, there's like, I'm sorry, there's creatures, but there's no like sentient alien life forms. And there's no there's no humanoid aliens, you yeah. know, and I think that that really helps it you know be its own thing because you know as soon as you start populating it with other aliens that talk and 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 stuff then it just becomes you know you you can't help but compare it to stuff like star wars and that's why like they got to stick to that you know it's 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 still based on human drama i mean look at chronicles of riddick you have so many amazing characters you know even if they only they're only in a scene or two i mean one of my favorites is tombs who's like a version of somebody's like alcoholic dad who, <laughs> you know, d- divorced the mom and ran off or whatever to, to live his own bounty hunter life. And like, you, you kind of know him, you know, he's familiar, but like, you don't know him that well. And like, he's just so captivating to watch and the way him and Riddick play back and forth, you know, and then there's obviously Keith David, who's just like a, an amazing addition with like some legit pedigree to his name. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and the only, the only one who you could say that, you know, is more uh, more than just human would be the the Lord Marshall, who's basically like a, a caricature of an evil villain in, in most senses. Um, and he's uh, got like you, his purple goo power or whatever. You also, though, you do have the elemental lady, the Judy Dench. Right, Wind- right. That's right. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. I mean, I think that if we were to actually go into a fourth, they they should probably do... And, and like maintain it being, um, as you were saying, like the, the like human drama, then like they could do what God of War did where God of War, uh, Kratos had his trilogy where he's like, oh man, I'm killing all the gods. And then now we get to revisit him as a, as an older war weary person. And like, I think that would be a nice step for Riddick where like he's already shown 
that he likes kids. He um, has a soft spot for people. So, like, how how about he, like, run into the, like, new Riddick and he's, like, having to deal with that. Like, give him some give him some new problems and take away some of his, like, extraordinariness. Or maybe he's, like, started a colony on Furia and he's making more Furians. So he's just shipping women in to do sex with. So they're all <laughs> Furians. Jesus, okay. <laughs> Um, wait, that's your pitch that, for okay. the wait, wait, that's that's your pitch for Riddick 4 is a Furian sex farm? Not a farm. <laughs> like they're there like con- like they're a there lab. like <laughs> consensually and they uh are like, yeah, I want to I want to like help replenish this population and with the way that Riddick is always written, which is grossly um they'll be like yeah oh i would love to repopulate with this guy's genes yummy yummy (laughs) yummy balls in my mouth (laughs) he is definitely he does get gradually like rapier as the as the (laughs) progresses i think honestly it's that he was king for just a little too long and I think he internalized maybe some of the wrong lessons uh from having all of that power because yes he's very he's very rapey in the third one yes i I was just gonna say in the third one there's that shot of him in early in the movie where he's in bed with like four women and i swear that shot was directly ripped from the first god of war i don't know if you guys yeah remember that or noticed that oh i remember um riddick is basically kratos um yeah in a lot of senses right yeah i mean you know anti-hero archetypes just a little less like blatant murdery like uh, if if Kratos is chaotic evil um, or chaotic neutral, uh, then I would say like Riddick is more uh, lawful neutral or lawful evil. One of those two. Sure. Yeah. You guys know about alignment charts, <laughs> right? Uh, yeah. I know of them. I've never understood those charts. I mean, I know what the things are, but I I never know how like you make those distinctions have you done just arbitrary is there math involved is that why i don't understand it have you like looked in have you looked into what they mean yes i don't necessarily like what where uh, where is the line between one of the like where is the line between let's say uh lawful evil and chaotic evil like is there a hard line or is it just i don't know you got to make your best judgment so um like uh the lawful to chaotic is how you go about doing things and good to evil is your general sense of morality and so the combination of those two things determines which where you fall in the alignment so if you are lawful good you have a code and you use that code to do good whereas if you are lawful evil you are evil and you uh have a code and use that code whilst doing evil whereas like chaotic good is you are good and but like you may go about it doing uh the wrong thing you may go about doing it the wrong way sometimes so like robin hood is chaotic good in that like well he's more i guess neutral good 
um, he jumps between chaotic and neutral depending on which version and if that version kills. Um, Russell Crowe. Yes. So <laughs> because he's doing a good, like he's robbing uh, the rich and giving to the poor, uh-huh. but he's also, it requires him to rob people and sometimes murder. Um, whereas like, so chaotic is just how you go about doing things. Okay. It does sound like there's a lot of math involved. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, yes, they're, but they're all word problems. It's like a train leaves at three o'clock from Chicago and another one leaves uh, at five o'clock from Boston going 25 miles an hour. When do they meet? Uh, it doesn't matter because everyone's and then, dead. And then Riddick's like, you can have one of these power cells. And one train is for you and one train is for me. Yeah. <laughs> So something I really like about this series is the creature design, um, especially in the first one with the like hammerhead monsters. I, I think they're called Bioraptors, but they're also known as uh, Chimera of the Night. Um, oh, okay. I really, I really like the design of these characters. These like they they like see via sound or sonar. Um, but they have this like blind spot. They're only two, they're like they're bipedal, but they also have wings. So I guess they're like bat bird things. Um, it's, re- yeah, it's a little bit like somebody mashed the xenomorph from Alien with like a shark and a bat. Yeah, and a rhino. And a yeah. rhino. Um, but also like the the like scorpion lizards from the third one. Um, I mean, they feel like the same concept, but different. Um, but I like right. that they, the way that they characterize them is that they use their tails as a distraction and they're like, Ooh, my tail's a snake. Oh boy. Watch out. And then they're like, just kidding. I'm going to bite your leg. Yeah. Dude, how about, how about the dog? The hyena? I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's fine. It's just like a, okay. it's just like a dog. <laughs> oh. I mean wow, cold. I, I I guess like that's just like it uh it wasn't weird enough for me to be like you're not just a dog but it was like it was just right. it was just like a no- like the buzzards were like lizard buzzards whereas the this guy <laughs> like it wasn't like a lizard dog or like a like a yeah. pancake hyena um yeah it was just like I'm a dog. I think they they definitely did that to to keep us, you know, to, to make sure we emote and care about this dog. Yeah, it feels so as bad as possible. Yeah, because I was gonna say when they kill it, there's the shot of it dying. It lingers for way too long. You know, it's like they really want you to to give a shit. Right, right, right. Um, I I do like that it had um like one brown eye one blue eye because it was like ooh riddick has special eyes and so does this wow they're so the same dang i didn't (laughs) even think about that yeah um also i guess maybe this is uh no maybe maybe i'll ask um so i thought in chronicles of riddick speaking of eyes that they were trying to imply that the shine that he has 
that lets him see in the dark is a Furian thing. Because when you meet Jack uh, the first time in, in, or I guess for the second time in Chronicles of Riddick, she implies that like she couldn't find anyone to give her the shine on her eyes. Um, and this was after they were like, you're, you're fury and Riddick. So I thought that that's where they were going, but like it never comes back. Does, is that, you know, I, yeah, I have a couple things to say about that. One, I think that would actually be the best explanation if it was because he was fury. And, um, in the, so if you take it at, like along the chronology of how the series came out, so when it was just pitch black and that he tells the story of how he traded 20 menthol cools to some doctor in a, in a slam somewhere. Yeah. I think that that was the legit thing because there was no, you know, they didn't make a sequel yet. And then when they made the sequel, they also made the video game Chronicles of Riddick escape from butcher Bay that came out, I believe like right around the same time the movie did. And in the game you play your, it's actually the story of John's bringing Riddick to uh, the butcher Bay prison, which happened before you know riddick escaped and then john's caught him again and that's where he was when pitch black started yeah and in the game you go like into the it's basically like a giant like the whole game you're trying to escape the prison because it's such a giant prison with like convoluted maps and everything and you find this like witch doctor guy in the basement somewhere and you give him 20 menthol cools but what he does is he slices your arm open and like some glowing stuff gets mixed into your blood and then Riddick can just suddenly see at night. Um, so I don't know if that's supposed to be canon or not, but from everything the game tells me, the game is considered canon. Um, and then in Chronicles of Riddick, like you're saying, she says that she couldn't find the doctor or whatever. So it does like make the whole thing even more, bring more questions into it as to like, what is the real deal? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Which is interesting because around that point in the movie, I just assumed that it was because he was Furian and the the story about the prison and the cools and the guy who gave him the eyes was just bullshit. Right. Yeah. Especially. Yeah, I don't know if, if the game wasn't around, that would make sense. Right. I mean, especially as you learn more about why he was in prison in the first place, which was like he, from what I understand of the backstory, he um, like spoke out against his military and they were like, Oh, well, we're going to erase all plans, uh, from the records and we're going to put you in prison. Oh boy, you're a patsy. Um, and then I guess in the midst of that ordeal, he had to like harden himself and become a killer. But like in that context, um, mm. you could imagine that everything he says is bullshit and he's just like, he's good at what he does. Cause he's, uh, marine and stuff and uh he like had to kill to to kill but like everything else is just like what what's real about riddick not his eye shit he was born like that because and he doesn't know why so he gives everyone a, a fake story in which he's like oh boy i, I did it in the the, the prison because i'm scary that's his like yeah. that's his that's his that's joker right. pick your own origin story thing yeah yeah he like corners. He's like, you want to know how I got these eyes? Mm-hmm. And like you, you piss yourself and he takes that as a yes. <laughs> um, yes. A couple of things I wanted to say about pitch black, great characters. Um, Rada Mitchell, the lead. I think she's, you know, like just very solid watchable lead role. And 
uh, Cole Hauser as John's like probably in my top three favorite characters of the series. Um, I, I love the whole dynamic of like that Riddick is his prisoner, but they're like duking it out basically all the way up until the way that John's goes, I thought was great. And how like John's is trying to convince Riddick to help him kill the rest of the crew so they can just take off together. And there's that moment where you realize that Riddick has been like leading him off path so that they could be away from everybody. Mm -hmm. And you see that, like they have like a, it was like a spaghetti Western stare down where like the shots are closing in on their eyes and going back and forth, cutting back and forth really quickly. You see the glare, the animal glare in Riddick's eyes. Yeah. Um, Hot. <laughs> um, also, and I, I think I, Jay, told you about this when I discovered it, but I was looking up some information about the cast of Pitch Black, and I discovered that Cole Hauser, who is, if you're listening and you don't know the name Cole Hauser, you'd probably recognize him. He's got a big filmography. He's the, he's the villain in uh, Fast and the Furious 2, Too Fast, Too Furious, the one that Vin Diesel's not in. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, you got but, a great uh, role in uh, in Higher Learning. I don't know if you guys have seen that, the John Singleton movie, which yes. also was direct, directed uh, Too Fast, Too Furious. Um, but his, uh, I discovered that his great grandfather is was Harry Warner of the Warner Brothers. So he's actually comes from uh, quite a, a pedigreed Hollywood family and whatnot. Um, but I do want to, since you brought up a couple of the actors in Pitch Black, I did want to talk a little bit about the way these movies are cast across the board. And maybe uh, maybe I'll talk about the middle movie last because there's a couple other things I want to touch on, um, specifically how much it reminded me of the Thor movies, which uh, is something that we talked about, Jay, very briefly. And I said that we would get into a little bit more here. Um but do want to shout out also, uh, uh, obviously Keith David is great. And he, uh, I didn't realize there was so much actual like hard continuity between these movies until watching it this time. Like I wasn't prepared for Keith David to return in the second movie, which I thought was super cool. Um, he is an actor that uh, if you listen to this show, you know that we're big fans of. But uh, the cast of the third movie, I had no idea who was in this thing except for Vin Diesel. And I had a vague recollection of, Katie Sackhoff also being in it. And of course, uh, like she Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica, a whole bunch of other credits. But every other face in this movie, I think, uh, or at least almost every other face is a face that I'm well acquainted with from from a number of other projects. My biggest complaint actually uh, to that um, about the third movie is that uh, they did not give Bokeem Woodbine anywhere near enough to do before they had a monster eat him. That was my like Agreed. biggest that was the biggest bummer of the third movie, but even honestly, even bigger than the dog being killed, I think was uh, that they didn't give Bokeem Woodbine more to do before they had a monster eat him. Cause that dude is an awesome actor. Uh, if you have not watched Fargo, I highly recommend it. He's one of the leads in season two. And that's, I think like the first place I really keyed into him. Um, and then of course uh, you've got uh, Matt Nabel, who's sort of the primary antagonist uh, or, or like big finger quotes antagonist for most of the movie. Uh, two, two things about Matt Nabel in Riddick. One uh, is uh, Matt Nabel is tied to sort of this podcast's secret origin in as much as he played Rachel Ghoul in the third season of Arrow. And that is when I joined uh, the Arrow after show at AfterBuzz TV and met Tari J and, um, so that is uh, he, he's a he's a figure of significance uh, around here. But the other thing that I want to point out 
is um his his presence in the movie reminded me very much actually of Simon Pegg's presence in The Boys, where uh, he's introduced in a smallish part as the father of the main character, and he shows up, and you say to yourself, wow, super excited to see Simon Pegg, great actor. This dude is not old enough to be the father of this character. It's just not It's right. not conceivable that this man, unless he is not a human being, and in fact is some sort of ancient deity who does not age, it does not track conceivably that this man could be the parent of this man who does not look considerably younger. Oh, wait, wait, hold on, hold on. How old was Cole Hauser in Pitch Black? Like mid to late 20s? Maybe early 30s, I mean, right? the thing is, like, Cole Hauser is one of those guys who's always read 35 to me. Like, no matter what, like, 35 <laughs> to, to 38. You know what I mean? Like, he's always okay. read mid to late 30s. And so, hey, like, I'll answer that. You vamp for a minute. I will answer this question. So he was born in 75. So he was he was he's only. 25? Right? Yes. Yeah, <laughs> right? A lot of math. <laughs> I was not anticipating math. Uh, yeah. So Cole Hauser was 25 only, in Pitch Black. Which is wild because the dude looks – and not to say he looks yeah, bad. Yeah. Like he's a good-looking guy, but he looks at least 10 years older than that. Yeah, I, I would say like at least 30. Um, but then so, – so Matt Nabel was how old when they did Riddick? Like 45? Uh, then, uh, then if that's the case, then it is conceivable – number wise that they could be father and son but he just matt nabel does not look old enough. well no no it still doesn't work because there's like a 10-year gap after pitch black you know what i mean so right. like if matt nabel's 45 in riddick he would have been 35 when pitch black happened which means he had cole hauser when he was 10 all right guys you guys are you guys are um uh, missing the big thing which is this is space so um you know there's time dilation Right. And also, go. you know, cryogenic freezing. Um, so he could have been on a really oh, yeah, long yeah, yeah. cryogenic space uh, trip. Yep. He was on a big Hell cryogenic yeah. space trip. And then, you know what? Actually, that would answer that question. Like, he's been in cryo sleep for a decade yeah. and he wakes up and he's like, oh, where's my son, Cole Hauser? And one of his buddies is like, yeah, about that. <laughs> yeah. Yo, uh, another thing I want to say about Pitch Black is I love how they really hype up Riddick as a character before we even really get to him giving, having any dialogue. Like, there's so much of him being talked about by everyone else that, like, oh, he's this killer and he's blah, blah, blah. And then Cole Hauser is, like, trying to keep a leash on him. And then, like, we see him, what is it, like, he does that insane flex move where he dislocates his arms to, to get out of the, the restraints or whatever. And it's just like, oh, my God, this guy's an animal. Um, and then he ends up being like, he ends up being like kind of nice. You know, I, I love that flip on expectations. I just looked it up and the, uh, Cole Hauser and, uh, Matthew Nabel are only three years apart. Yes. I just, I just found yeah. the same piece of information. Matt Nabel is three years older than Cole Hauser. So, uh, big John's had a baby at age three. Yeah. He's dude, the dude fucks. Hell yeah, bro. <laughs> Straight out the womb. Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, I, I really like the characterization of Riddick in that you expect him based on how everyone talks about him and how he talks about himself to just be this like ruthless, uh, mindless killer. But he actually like has a code and he actually cares about people and he only kills when he has to, or for petty revenge reasons. Um, like he only killed, yeah. uh, little John 
because he was going to kill everyone else. Um, and he was super yeah, compliant. And technically, he didn't kill him. Right. He only left Little John's for dead um, because Little John was going to kill everyone else, which, you know, was a, is a bad thing. It's a bad guy thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something else is the, uh, the terminology in this world is great. Like all the stuff they say, like, you know, go into a slam or, you know, I didn't ghost him. I didn't ghost your son, John's, you know, like, I just love when they talk like that. Um, he got a, he got a shine job in prison. It's a shine job. Like I want a shine job, you know, like that's awesome. There's, Uh, There's so many cool little, and the thing is that it's not just like, oh, space, futuristic it's all like run down like you know mercenaries and their ships are all like clankety and rough and it you know it, it almost feels like an offshoot of like uh, the firefly world in, in some sense how like everything's just broken down and everybody's just trying to get by and it's just like ruthless it feels a little bit like i think when i was watching the second movie um, I said, Jay, to you that it felt a lot like I was watching uh, like the Thor movies mashed with Alien 3 specifically. Yeah, explain that. I will. Uh, first, though, I, I want to shout out uh, before I, I abandon the third movie. Uh, want to shout out a uh, Dave Bautista the year before Guardians of the Galaxy. And like something that uh, I find fascinating about Dave Bautista is that he actually takes acting very, I mean, as you'd hope he would, takes it very seriously as a craft. Um, and he's, he's very committed to sort of pushing himself as, a, as an artist and collaborator in that way. And the dude doesn't, of course, have anywhere near as much to do as, you know, Bounty Hunter number three, uh, as he does as uh, Drax in the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. But I already think it's, it's clear, like, A, obviously the dude has a huge amount of presence, but he's getting a lot out of every individual moment in that movie. And I think it's really cool to see, like, this had to be one of his first real parts. And uh, yeah. all of that stuff, like that technique um, that he continues to work on is already in place. And I think that's uh, that's cool. It's fun to see. Also, of course, um, uh, <laughs> fucking uh, Jordy. Is it Jordy Mola? Is that how you pronounce his name? I, I guess. I don't know. Uh, I was very excited to see him. I think the only other thing I really know him from is Bad Boys 2, where he's uh, the villain, Johnny Tapia, but very excited to see him. Uh, He plays like really like borderline sniveling, but also super dangerous shitheads really, really well. Um, (laughs) Yeah, he's he stole like almost every scene he was in in Riddick, I think. And so, okay, so I want to talk about uh, the second movie a little bit. Um, and, and part of that, too, like we haven't talked too much outside of Carl Urban about the cast of the second one. And, and they have some really high caliber, like classically trained actors. Like you've got your Judy Dench in there. You've got uh, Calm Fjord as the, the Lord Marshal. You've got Tandy Newton as like she's very much doing like a Lady Macbeth type thing. And everybody's great in it. But, okay, so to address your question why does it remind me so much of the thor movies and it has a lot to do with uh the surface level details and how a lot of the surface level details relate to each other um and and even extending as far as uh certain relationship templates that i think cross from one to the other um important to note that uh chronicles of riddick was 2004 so there would not be any thor movies for another seven years so they can't cannot be accused of cribbing from uh, from Marvel, but there's a lot of stuff that feels like a direct one to one. Some of the production design, uh, a little bit. 
um, some of the way the production design is shot a little bit as well. Um, now, obviously, Marvel is now it's like a Disney thing, and they have all the money in the world and stuff. Um, so, so the the production design in Chronicles of Riddick, a lot of it feels a little bit uh, scaled down by comparison. But the way they light some of the production design and shoot some of the production design reminds me quite a bit of the look of especially uh, the first couple of Thor movies. A lot of the armor designs uh, for the Necromonger soldiers reminds me very, very much of uh, a combination of Asgardian armor and like a fucking, I don't know, like a, like a Sauron Lord of the Rings type thing. Um, the relationship yeah. between, and this is very much not a one-to-one, but the relationship between um, uh, Riddick, who's sort of like the big beefy, meat-heady uh, man who would be king, whether or not he really wants it, um, and the sort of sniveling, dark-haired schemer played by Carl Urban sort of reminds me a little bit of a Thor-Loki thing. Uh, you've got your uh, your your sort of, uh, what is it, like your classically trained Shakespearean actor rattling off really, really goofy exposition. So, like, I get a huge kick out of, like, in a Thor movie at the beginning when Anthony Hopkins is like, before the dawn of light, there were elves, and the elves were dark, right. and shit like that. So, like, you get a whole, but like every time Judy Dench says necromanga in this movie, I get a huge fucking kick out of it. Um, so, a lot of those surface level elements, but then things that are even more of a specific one to one. I had to like stop watching the movie for a second, Jay, and message you when they're in the prison, and Riddick is attached to that rope. And they do the shot that right. uh, Marvel and Taika Waititi would later do in Thor Ragnarok, where he's, uh, you know, basically caught up in that rope and dropping towards the camera. And it is almost exactly the same shot um, to a degree that is bothering me now, if I'm being honest. Um, but a lot of, lot of, lot of uh, surface level things that feel either reminiscent of what Marvel would later throw at us in the Thor movies or feels like someone over at Marvel was a big fan and they went, well, this movie didn't make a ton of money. Our movies are going to make a ton of money. What can we steal? So it's a lot of stuff like that. <laughs> um, all right. What about Alien 3? Oh, Alien 3 for me had more to do with, it was a couple of things. One, uh, if I had to compare it to an Alien movie, I do think aesthetically it has the most in common with 3 and it's not just like, Yes, there's a, a prison with a lot of like molten business going on around them, but also it feels a little bit um, a little bit shaggy to me, I guess is maybe the best way I can think to articulate it in a way that the first two aliens don't, but the third one does. Although, of course, in the case of the third one, it's because they took the movie away from the director and fucked it up. But it does have a certain like a, an endearingly shaggy feel to it. So I could have picked, I could have, it also look reminds me of alien resurrection in a few places. Also, I could have picked um, probably any of them, but I picked three because it's got that sort of in between uh, uh, shaggy feeling that I feel like I got from, from Riddick more than the other alien movies do. So that's why I picked three. Three was more of an arbitrary choice. Well, I think I had read that some of the ideas from or for Chronicles of Riddick were from a pitch that David Tui uh, had written right, down. Right, right, David Tui was did the initial initial draft of Alien. 3. Yeah. Well, there you go. <laughs> it might it might be an unused it might be an unused draft though, but I don't right. Know. Um. So 
we are uh, running out of time. Do you guys have any last thoughts before we wrap out? Yes. Um, just real quick. Some of my favorite Riddick one-liners um, did not know who he was fucking with at the end of Pitch Black. That's a great line. He says it to the alien he just killed. Mm-hmm. And I love the entire chase sequence, or not? I guess it is a chase of uh, when they're on the surface of the planet and they're trying to get to the other side and they're running through the mountains and stuff. And everything Riddick yells is amazing because he's just like, "Get that ass moving!" And he says, "He says shit like, uh, what is it? My my favorite line I think in the entire series is, if you can't keep up, don't step up. You'll just die.' Such a great line. I want to say that to everyone I've ever met. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just just all anytime there's a Riddick one liner, it's always like a little better than you know the the where the bar is the mediocre bar. He, he's just got enough. Sometimes they're great, sometimes they're just enough. Right. I'd like to imagine they're all improvised. Uh, he's like, I just felt like I was in the character, and I, <laughs> I came so. out. Riddick said it, not me, dude. Um, <laughs> one thing that I really noticed this time watching them is that Chronicles of Riddick feels way more stylish uh, camera-wise than the other two. And that's probably because they had the, the insane budget to do it all. But there's so many, like, Dutch angles and, and stuff. Like, when they're when they're shooting uh, anybody from the, the Necromonger cast, it's always, like, the camera's on a slant or it's, like, below somebody with, like, a big, a vast view behind them. Um, and, you know, I, I really like to go up for bat for Chronicles of Reddick because that's the one that gets the most shame and, and shade tossed its way. And I'm just like you know, idiots, like we, we, we aren't going to get stuff like this anymore. And it's like, if you think this is bad, you know, like it, it's not. So it, shut up. it is, no, it is a huge bummer that like, you can say whatever you want to about how much um, Chronicles of Riddick in particular works for you or doesn't, but we really, like nobody's allowed to do this anymore. And it is such a massive right. bummer. Like this team put together from the ground up, this entire original lived in, uh, sci-fi universe and like they're able to world build like crazy and even when they had to go back to basics and strip everything down again to make a third one um, they're still able to especially if you watch the director's cut continue to build that world out like crazy and I feel like nobody gets uh, gets uh, several bites at the apple to get to do something like this anymore and it's a huge bummer also because you mentioned that all the tilted camera angles that is absolutely something else that reminded me of the first thor movie in particular because kenneth Branagh was super okay. into tilted camera angles so like the costume design and the production design and the lighting and the tilted camera angles felt very much like the first thor and also can't believe i forgot to mention calm fjord who plays our primary antagonist the lord marshall in chronicles of riddick was also laufey the king frost giant and uh loki's biological dad uh in the first thor movie so there you go. Huh. All these connections. Go. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening to Missing Out. Uh, another big thank you to Jay. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? No, yeah, you can find me. Uh, yeah, yeah, you can find me on Instagram. Uh, my name's under Neuromute now. It's uh, neuro as in neurological, but the O is a zero. And then mute, as in mute the TV. Oh, okay. Neuromute. Um, awesome. Are you working yeah. on anything? Uh, you, anything you want to plug? Uh, no. I'm a, I'm about to start grad school. I'm going to be teaching for the first time, so I got a lot to look forward ahead of me. Um, not much free time in the future, but I'm excited. That's awesome. 
what about you, Lex? Yeah. Where can people find you? Uh, I, I, I still maintain that Riddick needs his own podcast. Um, so you can find me toiling and trying desperately to will that into existence. I'm, I'm now a, a firm believer in the power of manifestation so that I can, I can create from nothing a Riddick podcast where once there was none. Uh, but I am also on Twitter and Instagram at the Lex Michael. And I also do, Tari, did you know this? I do another podcast. I, did. Uh, I do it with my, I, you do, uh, you know. Cool. Well, then I won't tell you about it, uh, but I will tell our listeners. I do another podcast with uh, my partner, Marianne Ramish, and we call it Friends with Benefits. And the premise of this show, kids, is that we go through the massive pop culture juggernaut that is the television series Friends. Uh, she is a fan. I am not uh, up till now, a fan of this particular program. And we go through episode by episode, all 7,482,006 episodes of Friends uh, from a fan perspective and from a critical perspective. Uh, it's airing on HBO Max now. Uh, that's available so you can, you can watch it along with us. But please come check that out because uh, even though I'm not having a great time watching Friends, I'm having a pretty okay time, uh, time talking about it. Uh, so please come check that show out. It's called Friends with Benefits. You can find that wherever you find your podcast, uh, Tari J, where if I want to harass you into helping me will a Riddick podcast into existence, where do I harass you? I am nowhere. I do not exist for Riddick. <laughs> you can find me at Tari J. That's T-A-U-R-I-J-A-Y. But most importantly, you can find this podcast at Missing Outcast. That's M-I-S-S-I-N-G-O-U-T-C-A-S-T. Uh, thank you, everyone, for joining us to talk about the Riddick Trilogy, or as I like to call it, the Riddidry. Nope, I don't call it that. Um, and thank you, JQ, for hanging out with us. This has been a fun discussion. Uh, so uh, next week, we will be continuing our uh, all in the kool-aid month with netflix's uh lemony snicket a series of unfortunate events season one so make sure to join us for that uh until then this has been the retrospective that is introspective and now you have a new perspective but no, because seriously, he would be like, this podcast is brought to you by stamps.com. And then he'd like punch through somebody's head. And then Jordy Mola would be like, where do you get your sponsors from? A unicorn's ass. And he'd be like, ha 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 ha. <laughs> and then and then Vin Diesel would like chop off his head and it would land in a box. Like, that's why he's a really hard time booking guests is because after a couple, uh, they figure out that every time somebody guests on Riddick's podcast, he chops off half of their head and puts it in a box. Yeah, it's high. harsh. It's tough. <laughs> this is Rough tough. Life. Hey, you know, it's tough. Bad, bad, bad decorum, some would say. <laughs> Just kill the Riddick. <laughs>